It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Charles Tirrett, who it's safe to say are big cricket fans. They've got Josh Butler as their ambassador and they also kit out Middlesex and Durham as their official menswear partners. We've got a special code for our listeners throughout the month of June. You get 20% off at Charles Tirrett using the code WISDOMPOD online or quoting in-store. We've got loads to get through on this show. We'll talk a little bit about the England-New Zealand series. We've got an interview with Matt Parkinson where we hear all about his manic test debut. We'll talk about the ODI World Cup Super League and Mitali Raj's retirement. We've got a chat with Charlie Dean ahead of the Charlotte Edwards Cup final and there's much more as well. To get through that with me today is the managing editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner, and freelance cricket wordsmith, Jim Wallace. Jim, good to have you back with us. On the Trent Bridge test, England have announced their side for the second test. It is unchanged with Jack Leach having made a recovery from his concussion he suffered on the opening day at Lords, meaning that Matt Parkinson, his concussion replacement, misses out. I spoke to Parkinson a couple of days ago about his crazy debut where he became England's first ever concussion substitute. Here is that chat. Matt Parkinson, England test cricketer. How does that sound? Uh, it sounds a bit strange. Um, probably not really sunk in just yet. Um, this week's been a bit of a whirlwind. Um, I was getting ready to have a nice jubilee Thursday off. Um, was then going to play against Northlands on Friday night and pretty much not retire myself to the fact that I probably won't play for it for a while. But uh, it wasn't really on my radar, as I've said this week. It was very random and um, I just... just very pleased that it went it went, it went, went um, fairly well. Um, and yeah, looking looking forward to, to this week now. So, what what communication did you have with anyone from England before Thursday? So, you were told that you were a concussion reserve. Yeah, I was told I was a concussion reserve, but that was about three weeks ago. So, when you're a concussion reserve, the chances are it's not going to happen. Is it like it's very very random, very rare. That, that, that would happen. Um, 
part of the season and I was I'm, I'm loving my cooking for, for them uh, this year so when I saw Jack go down as badly as he did I sort of had a half thought that I might get a call but again I wasn't sure whether they'd made a couple other boys concussion subs you know Bessie no, I don't know what, what conversations it had with him and stuff, so I wasn't fully sure that I wasn't going to get a call, but then I got a phone call at about 12 o'clock saying, can you, uh, can you come to Lord's? So, yeah, very, very um, fast sort of change-up. Yeah, it was cr- crazy quick. I mean, you what you had a T20 game against Derbyshire on, what, Wednesday? and then Wednesday night, yeah, Wednesday afternoon, and then we had Thursday off, and then we played on Friday against Northampton. I read that you... You got you were having like people over at yours for a barbecue when you found out. Yeah, that got a bit exaggerated, but I was planning to have a barbecue on the Sunday. Um, I was actually going to the, the, the Lake District on Thursday. The car was packed, ready to go. Um, I think I made a comment. My horse, I was, I was, I was meant to be having a lads around for a barbecue, and then it sort of, sort of the story just grew from there, really. But yeah, I had a, 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 a nice weekend planned. But obviously, three days that I had there was fantastic. Um, as I said, it probably hasn't properly sunk in because four days ago I had this conversation, I had a laugh. So yeah. to now be a test cricketer and to have a test wicket to my name is brilliant. So, how did you find out? So, did you get a phone call saying get down to London ASAP? Yes, I was watching the game. Um, car was getting packed to go away for the night and uh, got a phone call from the team manager saying can you come down to London at that stage I thought it would just be his cover I didn't know how badly Jack Jack's hurt and he's been withdrawn so yeah I'm not sure many lads have rocked up for a test of viewing jogger shorts before um, which is funny uh, and then managed to get some kit and within a couple of hours I had my flight pod on ready to go <laughs> yeah I mean what what was the drive down like? Because I was on loads of like cricket tragic WhatsApp groups, and people knew that you were making the drive down before you'd reached Lords. Like the news was already confirmed that Matt Parkinson is going to be Jack Leach's concussion substitute. So like, did you stop off at a service station? Were there people coming up to you being like, "Good luck"? No, not really. I don't know how one of the journals found out where I had exactly stopped as well. I don't know who <laughs> who leaked that to him. It's very random. Um, Stopped at Keel Services, got some food and a coffee. Um, because I sort of knew they were like when I when I left home, they were like six down already, seven down. So I was like, probably not going to have to bowl in on field by the time I get there. Um, so I probably only got there at about five to the hotel, and then I went straight from the hotel to to the ground. And yeah, as I said, within within an hour, I was like, well, this might be a stupid question, but did you have all your kit? Um, no, I had to go to Old Trafford and pick up my kit. Um, I had to get my white pads out of my garage because um, obviously we haven't played uh, red ball now for two and a half weeks, three weeks. So um, I've just been carrying around a bat and gloves. I don't even bother taking a helmet and pads to T20 sometimes. So um, yeah, I had to go to Old Trafford get my kit, and then I contemplated having a little bowl with Wanks's spin coach Carl Crook when he did all school. Um, when I got to the ground, but we sort of thought it was best just to sort of set off and, and, and sort of get, get to the ground. Um, but yeah, it was it's one of those like people, well, I could pick tweets like, where is he? Where is he? And I was only so fast you can drive. 
thinking on the drive down because that that is quite a long drive to just be contemplating shit I'm playing test cricket in possibly an hour and a half And uh, what was it like linking up with the dressing room? Had you met Brendan McCullum before? like when you when you got there because if you're arriving around about half five that was that was basically when the wicket started falling on the first day so what was what was the mood like in the dressing room at the, like the moment you arrived that was good very very, very positive i don't think there's probably any other word you can describe the dressing room the positive with Baz and Stokesy, um in charge because everyone was relaxed and made me feel very welcome um yes That's awesome. Um, but before we get to your bowling, I've got to ask you, talk me through the on-drive. Yeah, that's the only reason I accepted this call. <laughs> Someone needs to look, you're on a glove out, you do a bit of running at lunch and stuff, but that 
Had you bowled much in first class cricket at Lords before? Uh, once, once properly in the Bob Willis Trophy um, final last year, I bowled about thirty-five overs um, from the nursery end, which is the end I enjoyed more in the game as well. Never really bowled much from the pavilion end. Um, and you started from the pavilion end, right? Yeah, I bowled about eight, ten overs from the pavilion. End. I mean, what was it like bowling in a Lords Test match? As you, as you say, it's not in early June. Lords Lords isn't exactly a, a spinner's paradise, and you managed to keep the runs under control and create a few chances as well. Yeah, I thought it went okay. Um, first couple of hours were a bit nervy, but um, our bowling to two set players on, as you say, uh, early June Lords pitches were quite difficult, and they did they did they did put me under pressure. Um, I think they ran at 27% of the balls in my first spell. So yeah, to come out of it going at just over threes, I was pretty pleased with. Um, I got nice feedback from, from the lads. Jimmy spoke nicely at the, the end of the game about me and Popsy. So so came off feeling fairly happy, not fully knowing how the people thought. Um, and then to have sort of the feedback that I did a decent job was, was nice. It sort of ran I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From a New Zealand point of view, Colin de Grandholm has been ruled out of the series through injury. He could be replaced by Henry Nichols, who might be fit. Uh, the spin bowling all-rounder Michael Bracewell, who's yet to play Test cricket, could come in. He or a quick could also come in for Ajaz Patel, who only bowled two overs at Lords. Jim, what's your moment of the week? That's loosely related to New Zealand. Well, yeah, it is loosely. Um, 
So I initially said it was going to be Joe Root's ton, but you said, you know, everyone sees Joe Root get tons, and I guess they do these days. So my moment of the week is after the game, I spent a bit of time in the bar across the road from Lords with Jeremy Coney, who um, those in the know will know is, you know, one of the preeminent cricket broadcasters and captain of New Zealand back in the 80s when they were a fairly ragtag bunch. and uh, Qualifies as pod favourite, I think. Pod favourite? I think so. I think we've mentioned him a few times before. It's been a while since I last kind of, kind of <laughs> mentioned. Um, and I have to say, I've not been doing this gig very long, but he was probably my favourite ever interview um, just because he was so erudite and had lots of funny side stories and anecdotes and just a, a real cricket brain you know he was we talked about the test match because that had finished a few hours earlier and he had some quite strong opinions on test cricket uh batsmanship what, what did he say uh he said uh interestingly he didn't enjoy the test really really it was i, I thought it was really entertaining well i sort of felt very sad after day one i thought you know that it was all going to be over in two days and you know it's a lord's test the first test of the summer and this sort of showpiece event that um, I think his point was that they kept on handing the advantage back to each other, which does make for a sort of thrilling test match, but felt a little bit like look um, and, you know, the, the sort of standard. The, the bowling obviously was fantastic, yeah. but if you take out that partnership um, by Blundell and, and Mitchell on, on the second day and then Root, obviously, then it could have just all been done. In, it could have been a one-day test match. Maybe we're not too far from that. <laughs> But um, yeah, we spoke uh, about all sorts of things about uh, the amateur nature of New Zealand uh, back back when they came over to um, England in 1986 and they won for the first time. Uh, Richard Hadley getting 19 wickets and they had to fly economy class, didn't have any shirt sponsors and they were coming up against, you know, relative superstars yeah. in Gower and Gatting and both of them came back for the Oval Test. He really is one of the one of the great commentators, isn't he? Yeah. Um, you've got to be careful, though, saying that he's your favourite person you've interviewed because actually Chris Gale listens to this show. Oh, does he? You've obviously oh, interviewed. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, he was he was not my favourite interview, but an interesting interview, I suppose. Um, but yeah, maybe it was because I did Coney straight after old Chris. Quite that, a contrast, yeah. Yeah, there was a bit of a contrast. But he was very... Um, you could see that because obviously he's a nice guy and he's got a fairly sing-song voice and that's all part of his charm. But you could see as a captain, you would play for him. I was thinking that almost immediately. I was thinking this guy would get the best out of me. Maybe that he just sort of spoke to my personality, but he was saying, you, you play hard, really hard. He doesn't really like this thing about New Zealanders being nice or nicey-nicey all the time. But he was like saying, you know, you play hard and then, and then you deserve your fun off the pitch. So they had a lot of fun off the pitch as well, but, you know, mightily successful beat Australia home and away, drew with the West Indies. Um, so, yeah, it was a... And that interview's in the next Wisden Cricket Monthly. Yeah, if I've not given too much away about it, but it's in the next issue You've of the You've given mag. away less than Phil normally does when oh, he talks okay, about that's his interviews. Good. Yeah, yeah. Did, did he have any thoughts on how good this New Zealand side is compared to that one? Was he? Does he think this is just the best ever and there's no contest? Because that, that side was a brilliant team. And, you know, yeah. obviously you had West Indies being so dominant, but you had a very strong undercurrent of teams then and New mm. Zealand were mm. one of those. I mean, this New Zealand team hasn't won in Australia, for mm. example. Did he, did he talk about that or is that not? He did. He, he, t he spoke about how I think there's a real pride that he has in that side that he captained in that they he really forged them from not very much. And they had, a, they had some real talent that went on to become, you know, your, your Crows, your Martin and your Jeff Crow. Um, people like you and Chatfield, the sort of unsung heroes. There's that famous comment by... I think it was Gooch who said, 
playing against New Zealand is like playing against the World Eleven from one end, which is Richard Hadley, and the Ilford Second Eleven from the other, which is the rest of their bowling attack. And then after they beat them, I think it, I think Coney said it was Hadley got Ilford Second Eleven shirts made up, and they all had photos in their sec- Ilford Second Eleven shirts after the game. So he was very proud of. He told me some great stories about how, you know, they weren't cosseted cricketers from England getting trained by ex-pros in the indoor nets at Lords or the Oval, you know. You and Chatfield learnt to bowl with an apple in an orchard. Uh, these are guys who run 20 kilometres to school. Like, pr- pr- really stuff that we, you know, is, is obviously really funny and chucklesome now to think think about it. But, you know, John Bracer was a grave digger. Again, I'm giving more away from the actual interview now, but um, definitely still by the mag. But, uh, you know, they came from a, a pretty much a different world from what we know. And, and they, yeah, they pulled off some big scalps. Well, from Ilford second eleven to the T Twenty Blast, we're over halfway through the group stage. Surrey and Lancashire are both still unbeaten. Ben, your moment of the week is from the Blast. Yeah, uh, West. It's from the the Roses Derby last night, and uh, as I was watching it, I was thinking like maybe this is the solution to all of cricket's ills. You just you get first get rid of the hundred, uh, you get rid of uh, the rest of T Twenty Blast, get rid of Test cricket, <laughs> just have all cricket be Yorkshire v Lancashire, alternating between. Uh, Headingly and Old Trafford because it is inevitably the best game in the cricketing calendar, Bailey, right? Like it's it's a rivalry which both teams really care about, always very high quality, always uh, incredible finishes. I mean, the first game of the season you had that tie where Harry Brook batted like a dream and then missed a straight one, last ball of the innings. This game, it was kind of, the, the ending was both sides, uh, like like everyone basically in the ground, like just trying not to bottle it and basically failing. Like uh, <laughs> like D- Danny Lamb, he's, you know, is a, a, a very creditable Seema, but was uh, was clearly struggling a bit under the pressure of the last over, was sort of bowling a big wise, putting out of his run-up, that sort of thing. Uh, Dominic Drake's there. Do you think he was doing that to ramp up, the, you know how they sort of do it to, to, to put the pressure back on the batsman by it, almost pulling out and, and getting in their head a bit? Or was it, he just really he did, nervous? It was an incredible act of, of <laughs> hoodwinkery, I think. Uh, <laughs> he, he was just really nervous. He, he was probably hoodwinking himself <laughs> as well, he, I think. Even, even at the very, very end, it wasn't clear who the winner is. I was saying, in terms of who was bottling it, yeah, Dominic Drakes, who was four off seven going into that last ball when they needed four to tie, six to win, and he then, you know, slices out to the fielder on the rope. The cameraman also then loses the ball, goes, pans to the crowd. So you think it's gone into the crowd, and the crowd also kind of celebrating. So you're like, okay, uh, <laughs> Yorkshire have done this. And then there was a clip later going around, which showed also that M- Matt Revis, who was at the other end, had also kind of uh, lost track of, the, of himself, but the situation was running, celebrating after the shot had been hit. And Drake's come point, it's like, what are you celebrating for? I've been caught, basically. It was an amazing catch from Tom Hart it in the boundary. Was, it was, really like, good. Really, yeah. really good catch in the boundary. Uh, and, um, just, and just an incredible game across the board. I mean, Tom Cudicadmore wasn't supposed to be playing in it. I mean, they, they made a slightly odd squad change late on, which I... I not clear why, but Harry Brook was pulled out, uh, Finn Allen was pulled out, and Milan and Cody Cadmore came in, which is two decent players to bring in. Uh, and Cadmore, Cody Cadmore hit what seventy or forty odd in a chase of two fourteen. Willie made a very good half century. Tim David was the star for uh, for Lancashire. He was, I think, he was six off eleven balls, and then ended up sixty six off thirty two, which is crazy. And, he, and this is what his he does. rise is extraordinary. I mean, mm. I, I saw him play in the uh, twenty nineteen T Twenty World Cup qualifier for Singapore. And I had to double check to make sure I wasn't misremembering this. He just didn't have that good a tournament. Mm. Fast forward two and a half years, he's one of the most sought after T20 players in the world. And he just seems to do it everywhere. And he, he just 
his game is pretty simple, right? He's big, strong, and just hits it hard. And has he come from no? Is he sort of like a Happy Gilmore figure who's sort of a right? Because he's not that young, right? Is he sort of? He's not that. So he's twenty six, I think. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, in the, lo- in the last year, it's been a meteoric rise, right? So he was playing Royal London One Day Cup for Surrey, bossed it in the PSL, bossed it in the IPL after initially being overlooked, and now the, the blast isn't the pinnacle of all those things, but he's just smashed it wherever he's gone and it, um, his, his record in t20 cricket is just phenomenal he averages 35 which is good like no qualification and strikes 165 which is certain that's from a hundred more than 100 games uh, um so I, I think the question will be kind of what next from an international point of view i mean he is now going i mean he is basically the informed t20 batter in the world he like will be sought after uh wherever he goes and he is eligible to play for australia it would seem mad to me if they don't try and get him in to the T20 World Cup squad. I think it's a similar situation. I think Ben Jones put it on Twitter. It's like the arch situation for England uh, in 2019, where sure, it might there might be some established players who have no out of joint by having been part of the group leading up to tournament or whatever. And sure, Australia won it last time and have built a team that works. But this guy is just so good. You just can't ignore him, I think. And I think that that should happen, I think. And then, you know, you, you wonder where the limit is for him. I mean, it's... Uh, he is. It's. It's not as if he's a one in every three games coming off type of player. He is doing it consistently, and then you wonder: can that be translated to the fifty-over format, possibly? And you've got a team, a, a, another World Cup next year. I mean, it's going to be a massive and very interesting twelve, eighteen months for Tim David. Mm, absolutely. Um, so, Lanks, Birmingham, Northampton, Yorkshire are currently in the top four in the North Group. Surrey, Somerset, Essex, and Gloucestershire in the top four in the South. There was a double tactical retirement in the rain affected game between Birmingham and Notts. Carlos Brathwaite retired himself with an over to go for Birmingham when he saw that the leg spin of Calvin Harrison was being brought on. Brathwaite has a poor recent record against leg spin. And then Sam Patel was retired out with one ball to go in the run chase with Notts needing three off the last ball. Sam Patel was at the non-strikers end and Harrison, the quicker runner, was brought on for what was essentially just running. We talked about this a little bit when this happened in the IPL um, a couple of months ago when Ravi Chandran Ashwin did something similar. Um, but two in the same game, I think, is unprecedented. Jim, do you have an opinion on tactical retirements? And, and if not, can you please confect one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll come up with one on the spot. Um, well, neither of them worked, right? Neither of the retirements worked. So well, the guy that came in for Patel only got one run and Brathwaite's replacement didn't face a ball. Didn't didn't face face a ball. Yeah. It didn't not work. Yeah. Well, <laughs> by my by my standard, they neither worked. I mean, and sorry, what just what was odd on the Harrison thing is they then didn't kind of keep running as long as they possibly could. No. Like they basically did, did that thing where you run and then go like, no, send them back when like you know there could be a fumble that sort of thing, which which is especially odd when you've gone to all that effort. But yeah, yeah, um, I guess so. Jonathan Lee wrote something in the Guardian this week about it, and and I tend to uh, agree with what he said. He sort of sat on the fence a little bit, but he basically said that. There's something elemental about cricket in the struggle of somewhat a batter at the crease. And I guess the whole thing with the retirement is that the fielding side have done well to get on top of the batsman. It feels a bit, or the batter, it feels a bit harsh to them that then they're just allowed to sort of sub someone in, sub someone out. I mean, that that's the struggle of cricket, really. So I don't have a strong opinion either way. I guess they're, they're trying to push the envelope, aren't they? They're trying to do these sort of things. It'll be interesting if when and it will happen when they do do a retirement and it really comes off 
and it changes a game or wins a game, that will be... Um, it's not, that's not really... Well, actually, no, the, the, the one in the IPL did actually work because Parag scored... Eight some, or four, yeah, I think, yeah. And again, they only just won. I instinctively don't like the Samit Patel one. Mm. Did he... I didn't, I've not seen it, but did he... Um, did he sort of... Fl- it feels a bit brutal that if, if the dugout is sort of saying, we'll get him off because he's not fast, or did he sort of say... No, I think it came, um, it came, from, the, it came from the dugout. Okay. Um, yeah. And also, part of one of the many reasons why I enjoy cricket is you have people who are not very good at something just like having to do it. Yeah. Like tail in the back. The whole night watchman. Yeah, yeah. Even yesterday, we're at the overwatching Surrey versus Sussex. Sinan Ryan is going at less than five and over in the T20 blast at the moment. And watching him bowl against batters who just haven't faced mystery spin like that is yeah. entertaining to watch. Yeah. Um, but I do like it as a tactical development. But I think there needs to be a punishment for the batting side they can't it's effectively a substitution at the moment mm. that happens late in the innings and there isn't any consequence for you making that decision mm. really when that's happened so far i'd like to see a consequence so basically sacrificing a ball so it is a yeah. dot ball when you retire someone out I, th- I think i'd like to see that yeah. yeah i think my feeling is those is that i i i find it interesting and i i like thinking when watching a game or oh, could they retire somebody is there a more a profitable matchup in the dugout that could happen and I think I think that that is an interesting thing and having things that are interesting in a sport is good and then it's not like there it's not where at the moment there aren't loads of them and I don't think we are headed for a situation where there's something that is happening every game uh, I think it will remain quite a rare thing and so if you add something else that discourages things I think discourage it you will basically end up just killing it altogether I think which well I mean I find it hard to get worked up about it in the way that some people Go on, get do. worked up. I, uh, I'm surprised. You're, not, you're normally the person who gets worked up by the things that no one else in the world has yet realised. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I guess it's one of those things where like, I mean, there's definitely no ethical concern or spirit of cricket thing or whatever in this situation. And it just depends, you know, it's a very small tweak around what you want cricket to be and to look like. And I think you can look at T20 cricket in two ways. You can look at it as the, the elemental thing of, batter versus bowler and you don't want that to be diluted and in that instance you would want to remove retired outs from it or you can look at it as uh this kind of almost like this this question of like how can teams best maximize their resources in terms of balls and uh wickets remaining uh, and this is another thing that allows them to do that and i suppose the, the, the cost in terms of uh, retiring a batter towards the end the cost has actually felt earlier on if that makes sense like it's you you allow yourself to do that by preserving wickets earlier on like if you're seven down going into the last over you're unlikely to retire somewhere so if you're four down or three down that's what gives you the opportunity but that comes with a cost earlier on or it should do so i guess that would be um it's and so it's different ways to maximize the runs you can score with what you have available to you and that's what i find most about t20 cricket is teams finding every possible way to do that and that's why i and broadly in favour of them, but I guess, I can't get I guess with these up. things, it's like how, where, so it's at this stage now, where will it then become? You know, take someone like the aforementioned Chris Gale, would this sort of thing extend his career by years and years because he's just allowed to be a, a sort of substitute figure who doesn't have to do a lot. They have to field, obviously, and do play the rest of the game or whatever. But I, Yeah, I can't remember who it was. Somebody made the point when we talked about this last time that this is actually going to happen pretty rarely. There are, mm. there are fairly few matching situations where it is worth sacrificing a batter yeah. to have someone on the bench. Who you so picked in the first 11. I think, it, I think it's one of those where you might see it more at the death, but I think mm. other than that, not Particular not really. skills as well. So this is a weird sort of um, 
reference, but Callum Giles used to play hockey for England in the 90s, I think at the Atlanta Olympics, and he used to be a penalty corner specialist. So they would, he didn't really play the games. Obviously, they just had a rule where you, could, you, you had rolling subs, but he was amazing at penalty corners, sort of either taking them or I think maybe the guy that hits them. And he barely used to play. He just used to come on and ping it in the goal and then trot off again. I'm just thinking about a point where this could get to where you get these cricketers who are just you know amazing at smacking off spinners down the ground for six, but yeah, but don't, don't I, do a lot else. I whatever. think one thing which has basically held through throughout all of T20 cricket is that a batter who is set is almost always preferable to a batter who is not set. Basically, that every like we were talking about Tim David in the innings last night, and the acceleration was incredible, but he was six of eleven, so you wouldn't have wanted to retire for him even with two or three overs to go, knowing if you know. Uh, and that's all something that I think will uh, will make it rarer. And then it, that's added, I think, when you get, you know, if you want to bring someone in for the last ball, the game's eight to hit a six, there is also absolutely loads of pressure on that player. I mean, you think of, uh, I mean, using a hockey example, using football example, like Mark Noel being subbed <laughs> on for a penalty or the, the yeah. United's fine with those players who got subbed on the last minute. I mean, that seems to rarely end well, that kind of thinking. So I, as I say, I think it will be quite rare. And that's why... I'm not hugely fussed about discouraging it as well, I think. I guess, you, you know, you don't, you don't want... You, you, the last over drama is good, but you don't want it to be drawn out. And having, like, especially if you get a situation where uh, you're, you want the, you've got loads of wickets in hand, you want the fast person, the non-strikers end at all times. So you're retiring someone out to get a fast non-striker on, and then they manage to run a single, but that person is a tail ender, so then you're retiring them out to bring in a, yeah. a, a hard hitter. So I, As I said, I don't think it's actually going to happen yeah. that that really but um, just to flip you probably want to move on but just to flip yes. around on you, you you're a bowler you know if you if you have tied a batsman down for for an over or whatever that you know you've you've put the effort into doing that just from a personal perspective you'd be livid if oh yeah 100%. yeah you'd be absolutely fuming if you so i'm just i'm just thinking about it. it it feels a little bit like you're punishing someone for doing something good which sits a little bit uncomfortably yeah but. I think last time when we talked about tactical retirements in the pod, I think I finished the discussion by saying, hopefully we'll never have to talk about that again. <laughs> More generally, how have we liked the tournament so far? The games come so thick and fast. The crowds have been up and down. Uh, more empty seats than you'd expect at some games, uh, obviously not taking place during the school holiday. I felt that, you know, the two teams that are unbeaten Surrey and Lancashire, they are so good. They are so, so good. Both teams, I think, would do pretty well in the IPL. The, these players just need to be on TV. Uh, is there anywhere in the world that has cricket this good not being televised? Somerset as well, fielding sides occasionally where you have 10 players, you have 100 contracts. Why is that in the 100, You every game is broadcast? But for the T20 Blast, when you have uh, teams that are either at similar or in some cases, maybe even better quality not being televised. Obviously, the average standard of the blast is lower than that of the 100, but you do have situations where some teams are just better and much better than the norm. And I, th- I think it's odd that they're being hidden on YouTube. I'm, I don't have an obvious solution. I'm not saying only broadcast every Lancashire game and nothing else. I'm not saying that. And I don't know what how you get around it. But I think my starting point is it is bad that, n- that these players are not on TV. As it bad for cricket that they're... That- this isn't being showcased enough because of the well, it's really good cricket show. it's really it's really good, good cricket, cricket yeah. that should be yeah. broadcast and and every, as, as many people as possible should be able to see it i think it is also it is really good cricket or at least the standard of some of the cricket is really good but also you do see a, a variance between certain teams i mean that that sorry sussex game yesterday uh there was good cricket played but it was also a 
pretty close to a blowout, basically. Like the game was done kind of at the halfway stage, definitely after that Jack's Roy opening stand. But as you say, there is no perfect solution. I think when you see a game like that, when you see the strength of, you were saying that Somerset Field 11, where 10 of the 11 players were in the 100, Lancashire's team is phenomenal. Yorkshire, some teams, Yorkshire Field have been so good. Uh, you can look at that and think, okay, a way to go is a two tier T20 blast where you televise most of the top tier. Uh, and there's promotion and relegation. But then that will have knock-on effects for those counties who are in the second tier for whom T20 Blast is such a uh, an important thing in there and the revenue that they get. And if you are then a second tier team, that is going to be a, a harder sell to people, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there's, and there's the, the, the fact that you don't get the, the exposure from being on TV as well. I also think that the one thing we always say about the Blast is how hard it is to follow um, because, you know, as you say, you've got a so different, many games. different amount of games every night. It clashes with with test cricket um it just there's no there's no although there's a block there's no structure to that block it's like you know there might be one day there's five games one day there's two games you have no way there's no some like, days you have a tv game some days you don't exactly there's no appointment to view thing where you know if i switch on at this time there's going to be 220 blast there would be ways around that possibly where you integrate it across a season with other things but then players wouldn't like that because you're switching formats and it also makes it a lot harder to get say you could you can get a pollard and orion in for the blast because it's you know four weeks basically and then you're done you can't get them in to be if you're playing one or two games a week because they're not going to stick around for that long uh so there is no perfect solution but i i think i would be in i would prefer a two-divisional thing and i think i would i'm leaning towards thinking that just it's just got to be easier to follow which means a better structure that has the tournaments integrated would be preferable i think but it's a really tough one i like having I mean, Sinan Narayan has not played... Has he, I'm not sure if he's even played in the Blast before. If he has, it's a very long time ago. Pollard's not played that much Blast cricket. The fact that it's in a short burst and you've also got the 100 straight afterwards, so you've got... You know, they're, they're already earning money from playing the UK, so you're asking... You can see why it's attractive more. as a player because you exactly. come over once and, exactly. and then Someone you're here and you... Tim David spending, you know, a very good chunk of the summer here. I just think that something has gone wrong that you have cricketers this good who are not on TV. I know it's on YouTube and Ben, you were saying before we started recording that we shouldn't underestimate how good YouTube is at showing stuff to new people they otherwise wouldn't watch. You're talking about your... your... Yeah, yeah. So my nephews, I mean, you know, they kind of consume anything, but actually YouTube is their first port call rather than sort of channel hopping. And then last summer they went on YouTube and there was a one of the Women's 100 games being live streamed and they then watched most of that tournament and then went to some of the games live, which is exactly how that should work but that was because it was being live it wasn't it was, if it had been on tv and not on youtube that wouldn't have happened i mean I, you need both i think because they just thing, think but... tv is like a weird thing in the corner uh yeah and i'm not i'm not sure they even you know i mean they wouldn't have sky i don't think no uh whereas stuff and, and youtube you know there's loads of stuff on there like people do use youtube in a way that i think we underappreciate not mm. to get too deep into that but like people do use it as just a social media platform the way we would just log on to Twitter, see what's on Twitter that day. People log on to YouTube, see what new is on YouTube, scroll through videos that way rather than being sent a YouTube link and clicking on it. And then but how deeply would you have to scroll to get to the Surrey stream, for example, if you're just a regular... Well, there are... Jeremy al- Coney's on the Surrey stream, by the way, so yeah, well, you know, well, everyone well, there, should be tapping it up. There are algorithms where uh, it recommends stuff based on previous stuff you've watched or stuff that you like and that sort of thing. So I guess if you've watched videos about you and Chatfield, then it might show you the Surrey <laughs> stream or that sort of thing. Just <laughs> chock full my history of you and Chatfield uh, with superb. his apples in his orchard. <laughs> what about... The interesting thing is, is the ground. So they've not been... So we were here last night and it was... I think I th- saw something that said it was 13,000 people, which is what, half full, if, if that, 
do you think that is to do with the fact that it's a Tuesday or a Wednesday night and people don't necessarily know when the games are where whereas a Friday night here probably would be full because it's a sort yeah, of I mean, after work crowd and few reasons tickets are expensive um, you know it's nearly 40 quid for it to come in I mean membership here is really cheap um, games midweek m- lots of games there are more, with 100 there is more games at the, at the big grounds um, and more games in a short period of time as well so I think there are lots of reasons why uh, well, that's my problem with not to get again too sort of philosophical but with short form cricket in general there's so much of it in and it goes on that it almost renders itself a little bit meaningless so I wonder if it is a little bit of um, the games don't stand out from each other unless it is a, a Roses match or a, a Surrey Middlesex or there's, there's something riding on it it might just be that they they start to all bleed into one and even the Roses game yesterday wasn't a sellout as well and I, I do think yeah that that is a yeah, I mean, the hundred tickets are some of them are cheaper than blast tickets, uh, and it's for for a higher standard of cricket in general. Um, and yeah, I think the the schedule thing. I mean, it's, if you just think from a point of view of a consumer, uh, if there's a game on like a Saturday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, or something, or there's three three games in a week, you're you're, you're not gonna you're, you are gonna pick and choose. You're not, you know, and especially you'll get some keen cricket fans, but quite a lot of casual fans that go to the Surrey games. Well, so the the keen ones will buy memberships. Yes. So yeah. to get a sellout, you need people to buy for individual games who don't come to that many. So that's the problem, right? There are people who want to watch all of it, but those aren't the people who are going to make you sell sell out. Pick out a few leading performers so far. Riley Russo is averaging ninety two and striking at one hundred ninety two for Somerset. Um, Durham's Graham Clark is the leading English run scorer. Uh, he's a Durham brother of Jordan. Uh, Naveen Hack took five for 11 for Leicester the other day. He's having another very good season. David Payne is taking his wickets at 10. Jake Linter is the leading spinner. And um, Richard Gleeson at Lancashire is going very well for, for them. Um, Abby Slade asks, your current England men's 11 for the upcoming T20 World Cup brackets based on current form. Um I'm going to go first. Uh, Roy, Butler, Stokes at three, Bairstow, Brooke, Livingston, Moeen slash Sam Curran, depending on conditions. Then Rashid. I mean, we don't know who's going to be fit. Then Archer, Wood and Topley. Mills, listening to the question, based on current form, Mills are going at more than 10 and over in the blast. Um, Chris Jordan just misses out for me. I can see someone like Richard Gleeson coming into the frame if there are lots of injuries. Yeah, I think that, that's my lot. Do, yeah. ba- do Ben and then I'll try and come up with something controversial. Well, I, I, yeah, I couldn't come up with a, a, a full 11, but partly because I, I struggled with the, the frame of, of the question because you say on current form, obviously. If the Don't slag off the question, Ben. No, no, no. no it's, it's, it's a very good and interesting question, but you can just interpret it in Excellent a few ways. Poised. Uh, um, it's like if, if on current form, obviously you can't, you can't pick Archer because he's, you know, he hasn't played a game of cricket in ages. But uh, if he is fit, he obviously plays. Uh, and so that that is a tricky one. The, uh, I guess, I mean, Milan obviously has been in England's T20 team, has rarely let England down. Also, the conditions should really suit him. He's had an okay blast. He's got a couple of 50s. One of them a really quick one and a sort of eight over thrash, which um, shows that he can do that thing as well. And on the flat wickets of Aust- on those wickets, that, that's, it doesn't just suit his technique and his skill set, but also suits his approach, I think, where I think you can really make a lot of ground up towards the end of an innings, which is what he is so good at. So I'd be interested to see if he came back into it I guess also in terms of picking on who England will pick based on form, whatever, it'd be interesting to see what happens with Stokes. I mean, Root's T20i career basically came to an end when he took on the test captaincy. Will that happen with Stokes? Can he play every game in every format 
clearly not. But will that be sort of a last hurrah for him, especially having missed the last T20 World Cup? Uh, possibly. And then the Bearstow at four thing is also quite interesting because... He didn't and, go that well in the IPL, didn't have a good T20 World Cup. Yeah, uh, and but he's clearly such a talented player that England will want to try and find a way to make the most out of him. But that might end up being at number three, I guess, or even... Maybe opening does again. He put, does he yeah. push into an opening spot and Roy misses out or adapts into a dis- dis- different role? Or you look at, do you have Butler? Because he showed, again, that slightly different side. He was almost playing Milan-esque cricket at times in the IPL where he was like... And Radstone really wants him to do that. That's clearly the role they were asking him to play, whereas he gets to do something slightly different for England with that batting depth that they have. But he could become a very, very effective number three because he can do all those things, which I think is what a number three especially needs to do. I mean, Bester and Roy be something nice about joining them back up at the top and having Butler at three to either come in and carry on their work or to absorb pressure off an early wicket or to take on the power play if one of them falls early, but the conditions there for that sort of thing. So, I mean, I haven't answered the question at all. No, there. no. Uh, but it's partly because there is, I mean, <laughs> there is a lot of time between now and then. Uh, and it is, it's going to be very tough to tell. Uh, the, but the Jordan thing, sorry, can we say one thing on him? Yeah, you made a really interesting point before we started recording. Yeah, which is that he obviously, and he, he got some stick at the end of the T20 World Cup for his death bowling, which I felt was fair. But he also had a very good tournament with the ball. Aside from that, he's basically just become a, a different bowler. And I think that he offers so much to the group apart from that. I mean, he's a he is a, a good batter, especially with the depth England have to, he, probably a bit high at number seven, but a number eight is a great option to have. And they love him around the group. He's a good mentor to that bowling team. He has seen so much. He's so experienced and he's a brilliant fielder uh, that almost if he's at the team as like a, a sort of a, a bowler who fills in the rest of the attack as in he can, uh, you don't want him as your lead death bowler, but if he has to bowl one over, possibly you can get away with that. And also as an opening bowler and a bowler through the middle, he was really good at taking wickets in that sort of seven to 12 over period. That could be a role that he actually fills really well I mean you're going to have a few more options there but I can see how Jordan becomes one of the better ones absolutely still looked good last night it was still rapid yeah he's mm. had a good good blast yeah Matthew asked does Jake Lintert make the squad probably not because England have typically not picked that many spinners in their squad but um, he's had three consecutively good blasts he had a really good hundred he's done he's played in the Caribbean Premier League the Bangladesh Premier League I mean has he done the, uh, the the big bash He's no. not. No, he, he's got. Um, he's got. I think his career economy rate is either just below seven or about seven. Moving on, Ben. It's been a massive few days for the ODI World Cup Super League. Do you want to fill us in why what the cricket happening at the moment between Afghanistan, Zimbabwe, Pakistan, and West Indies is so important? Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, it's. It's an odd tournament, the Super League. We talked about it before, but it's probably worth a bit of a recap. Where um, each so there's 13 teams in it, the full members plus the Netherlands because of their. Um, Cricket World Cup League performance in the last cycle. Each of them plays eight series, four at home and four away. So each team doesn't play four of the other teams. Uh, so it's a bit odd from that point of view. But basically, the top seven teams plus India, so basically the top eight teams will qualify automatically for the World Cup. And the next five will go to the Cricket World Cup qualifying event. Um, and the reason why it's interesting is because Bangladesh have basically confirmed qualification. They've won 12 of 18 uh, so that should be enough and they'll need one from the next six. They've got toughish fixtures, but they should be fine. But more interestingly, Afghanistan are very, very close to securing that qualification as well. They are on track at the moment playing Zimbabwe in the third ODI, world map 135. So they um, uh, should be 10 wins from 12. Uh, 
which is again very close to um to being qualified they've had an easier fixture list um although they've done very well to clean up the games and that they haven't you know uh we'll get on to some other teams later who haven't managed to do that um but so they have a few more series and they'll need one or two more wins from those and then they will be qualified automatically as well which means that two of the big teams that you would expect to see at every world cup will be going into that qualifying event and as we saw from the last one which was one of the best cricket tournaments has ever been basically uh there are no guarantees west indies very nearly missed out on qualification afghanistan very nearly missed out on qualification you almost had scotland sort of making a run for it ireland came close as well um so the teams that are in danger most are probably west indies and sri lanka uh, which is on west indies which is they're currently playing pakistan and they lost a very close game yesterday uh, that series is huge because West Indies have played six of their eight series. They're currently playing their seventh. So realistically, they need probably at least two wins to have a chance in their remaining five games now because they lost Quite that game. Quite three. So they've got to yeah. win either a series against Pakistan away or New Zealand at home, which is in August, which is absolutely huge. Because uh, New Zealand, so they have not played very many games. They've won six from six. So they've got another, um, what, 18 games left to play and they need to win probably like five or six five or six yeah. so, so you know they, they, they should be okay but it's, but they've got work to do just because they haven't done much work so far uh south africa another team who could potentially be in trouble uh because they drew a series away to ireland last year and lost at home to bangladesh um so and and yeah sri lanka have also not had a, a great time but there's another what was the other really big series between sri lanka and and bangladesh so bangladesh are almost home dry but if they were to lose three 0 sri lanka it becomes more of a question again uh but yeah, so it's it's been fascinating. But the issue that we we've been discussing as that, I mean, even we have had to work quite hard to figure out whether or not it is fascinating. Uh, and you wouldn't know it from sort of watching the coverage of m- much of these games or from reading about it anywhere. And from from the IC, who have not done a huge amount. I mean, you know, if you, can you imagine in, in any other uh, sport, if you have a fixture between, between two top teams that will be absolutely pivotal in determining which of those goes to the World Cup and that not being like the headline when you're reading about it all the time, you know, like to know so, that. So this Pakistan series is, so Pakistan winning that game puts them in a pretty good position, but it's a series that if West Indies had won that 3-0, Pakistan would be in serious trouble. And this is probably not going to happen because Ireland have got six wins from 18. But had, so Bangladesh and Afghanistan, probably like maybe ninth, tenth team in the world in a lot of people's eyes, um, had another one of those teams who you don't associate with qualifying for every World Cup, but they'd been doing really well, you'd be guaranteed to have a big team not making the World Cup because only two qualify from the qualifier. And there's just no attention, like, other than Ben on this podcast. No, no one's talking <laughs> about it, And he knows his really. stuff. Uh, I mean, there are, there are a few journalists who are very good at covering it, but it is only a few. The broadcast, mm. you know, the IPL... Do you think it needs the story of someone not qualifying in order to, for I think to, be, so, yeah. to, to get the I, and, cut and, through and, and the quali- I mean it could well be that you know Sri Lanka and West Indies and South Africa all qualify for the World Cup because they qualify through the qualifier but you know the IPL gets a lot of stick for how much it promotes itself when it's going on the Premier League also just pr- bangs on about how good the Premier League is you need broadcasters saying all the time like reminding viewers all the time this is an absolutely huge game yeah. for West Indies chances of qualifying to the World Cup and that's not really happening it's it's mentioned as an afterthought but this is the whole point of these bilateral games it's yeah. the, the the tournament has given all these series context um, who would be the biggest shock would it be if if so, so you say Pakistan might not qualify and West Indies might not Pakistan, qualify Pakistan should be fine should but be West fine. Indies are in real danger um, West Indies so, so West Indies like, Sri Lanka and South Africa are in real danger of 
be in the qualifier and they 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 could they would still be favourites to qualify for the World Cup. But it, West Indies were the lack of DRS away from potentially not qualifying last time. And and uh, but South Africa, I think, will be the ones kicking themselves the most because when you look through their team, I mean, it's actually really good. <laughs> yeah, and, and especially they've had. It's, it's, I don't really understand how they've got themselves into the position because they have players who have started astonishingly to their ODI careers, like Razi Bandadusan and Yanam and Milan were both averaging like over seventy. This point when Dukok was like the, the like statistically like the worst member of that top five, <laughs> and it's like how have you managed to draw? Well, to... They, they beat India in an ODI series that wasn't part <laughs> of this ODI Super League <laughs> yeah, yeah, recently. Yeah. So I think they've lost against Sri Lanka away. Didn't beat Ireland away. I think there's one one. One of the games is rained off. And I think they've played one of their games against the Netherlands. And that was cancelled as well. That yeah. was a, that was a no result. Yeah. So, but these things. I guess that's the sort of the beauty of it is that these things can happen. It gives everyone a fair crack. You know, is would it be like Italy not um, qualifying for a World Cup or Euros? I mean, these things happen in in, in bigger sports like football, for example. So yeah, but but then they're also like cancelling the cancelling the super league this is going to be the, the first and only edition of it so yeah oh it. is it yeah that, that, that's possibly why there's not been as much promotion of it yeah because um, yeah you don't say look how great this tournament is that we're not doing next time i yeah. mean i mean for example like that pakistan west indies game yesterday was brilliant barra azam's called 100 shay hope's called 100 yeah, yeah, yeah. shay hope now has more odi hundreds yeah. than viv richards again it's quite low-key quite low-key it's low-key but it? also i think it was more exciting because of the context like mm. you're interested well hang on pakistan will probably qualify but they're in a bit of trouble here if they don't win this series. Mm. And West Indies, you know, like they, they need to get these two or three wins mm. from five difficult games remaining. And that context helps enjoy it, I think. Um, so it's a Do shame. It's just that because broadcasters don't want to saddle themselves to, you know, no one wants to fl- flog a dead duck sort of thing. It's because they don't want to be, although the cricket is interesting, it's like the the nature of it will change. So they don't want to. Possibly. But I think there's also, there's, you have to ask questions of, I suppose, the ICC and their promotion as well because this is kind of their tournament and also I mean I I was shocked to see actually just how much cricket is available on ICC TV uh, for for not very much money like it's 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 kind of I mean I think it should I I would possibly would fork out like a monthly thing is it eight dollars a month or something like uh, that? well no it's not it's you pay per series at the moment okay so that's why which is a really good system <laughs> what you, you think it's uh, better than well. Should do that it's on a Netflix. Good it's a good option. I mean, I guess the other option is what we talked about on last week's show of just having a flat out subscription for everything. But yeah, I mean, yeah, what's on it basically? Yeah, yeah, and and like so, so the, the current Sri Lanka Australia series, I think you can pay ten dollars and get the the whole tour. So that includes five uh, five US dollars for the whole tour. Okay, and that includes test matches as well. So you get loads of great cricket in that. Um, you can. Uh, it's, it's, it's not much for the the Pakistan West Indies tour that's going on at the moment. Uh, yeah, but again, one, one, one ninety nine US dollars. But you, you know, you had a esteemed cricket journalist whose job it is kind of know about these things, like asking, uh, like how how can I actually view this game? Is it just this kind of channel tucked away? I think it's Hummasala tucked away on Sky. It's like no, this is available on the global <laughs> governing body's website, and yet somehow <laughs> who have know you know millions yet. of followers, tens of millions of followers across all platforms, and yeah. somehow they haven't shouted about enough so that people know about so it know something's it. going wrong there basically yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. in other international cricket this week Australia are 2-0 up in a T20i series against Sri Lanka which you can watch on ICC TV as we've just found out there's big news from India this week Mitali Raj has announced her retirement from the international game she played 
for 23 years for India, making her international debut all the way back in 1999. She's the leading run scorer in the history of women's ODI cricket. She is one of just two teenage test match double centurions, the other being Javed, me and dad. Ben, the word legend is overused in sport, but Raj is a genuine legend of not only India cricket, but world cricket. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you talked about the span and it's not just the amount of time she played for. She, she was the bedrock of Indian batting, basically, from when she made her debut to this point now which is a, a ridiculous span of time to be the key player in your team's batting line. I mean you get players who play for that long but I mean that there, there are lots of comparisons made between her and Sachin Tendulkar but I think that they are fair that that's kind of that's the touch point for that length of time uh to be to be doing that for um and she didn't just carry the team as well it's not as if she was really good and India were okay she kind of she she made them a better team they've kind of been before and she drove women's cricket forward in the country as well um i think her- kept up with the professionalization of the game as well she was still brilliant yeah exactly I mean, I mean and that that odi record is is ridiculous i mean she uh so she's the lead the leading run scorer in, ODI, in women's odi cricket by a massive distance she's got nearly eight thousand runs no one else even six thousand she's averaging more than 50 in the format uh, she might possibly get caught by Meg Lanning as the leading run scorer, but Meg Lanning, you know, she's in her 30s now, so that she's only got just over 4,000, so she might not catch her, and then that record could just stand forever, basically. She's what? She's the only captain to lead India in two World Cup finals and got so men's close. Or women, men's and women's, yeah. yeah. Oh, got so close in that 2017 event, and I guess that could be the regret that she never got a global title, but then when India do get one, and you think it will be when, especially, uh, you know, with how much they're improving in T20 cricket, then there will be plenty of thanks paid to her. I think her, I'm not, I couldn't figure this out, but her retirement message said she was retiring for international cricket. So I don't know if when the women's IPL launches, and it seems like it will launch next year, if she will be a part of that. But that would be a great way to sign off, if possible, for her, because she has been the cricketer who has been most responsible for making that possible. Um, yeah, she also said she wants to stay in the game as well, so definitely not the last time we've yeah. seen her. There was the famous clip of her reading um, uh, poetry. The Essential in, Rumi. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and and it, that During a World Cup. During, during a World, World Cup, Cup match, she was, padded, she was padded up waiting to bat in a World Cup game. Do you think um, it, was the, it was... So it was Rumi poetry, so the guest house. So I've got some lines here. So be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Do you think... Um, Anyone in the England sort of test lineup would be doing a bit of roomy poetry before they go into bat, or uh, well, who's most likely to be reading poetry? Josh Butler was reading uh, something, wasn't he? And Bairstow was reading something quite recently. I take yeah. quite a keen interest in what people <laughs> I, I are reading in dressing rooms. When Rory Burns took up the Surrey captaincy, he read quite a lot of books on leadership, sort okay. of thing, like a. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's like Art of War or that sort of thing. Mm. And um, leadership for dummies and something like that. That's not a, that's not a comment on Rory Burns. It's just like a, <laughs> I mean, that's the sort of thing I would do. Just crib with a, you know, yeah. Right, going back to Raj, but also just a very aesthetically pleasing batter to watch. There are very few players in the women's game, men's game as well, who like were, were as, as fun to watch drive. when she got going, yeah. Yeah, and, and she had, you know, she she was a forthright personality. Well, not, not that she was going out of her way to, to cause trouble. Everything she did, I think she did with a sense of purpose and principle, but because of that steadfastness in her own uh, sense of self. She did t- at times butt heads. I mean, there was that during the 2018 World T20, it was probably the, the most famous incident when she was she was dropped for the semi-final. Uh, and I think the coach pointed to her perceived slow scoring. And I think she maybe said she was unwilling to bat down the order. And then Tali Raj, so it was leaked an email that she'd written to the coach and to Diana Adulji at, at the BCI, uh, which was very eloquent and very scathing of, of, of the two of them. 
This uh, is good goss. I've not heard of no, this. No, it's, it's, it's... So it's, someone it's, leaked, so she sent it saying, I'm not batting lower than three or whatever. And, no, and no. Someone, so, so this was after the tournament. It. This was sort of like I was... I felt the, the, the treatment was bad. That's, that's not quoting. That's just the general tone of the thing. But it's, 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 it's well worth reading because it gives an insight into sort of Raj's thinking, I think. Um, and that, I mean, that, that was an ugly incident, but I think it is, is revealing of a character who like wouldn't be cowed and who, you know, had to uh, be that determined to have the career that she did, I think. It's a great interview with her in the magazine, what, two years ago now, I think. That's well worth the read. But yeah, um, phenomenal career that's come to an end, international career at least. I was just trying to think as well, So because she, she, she made her debut in 99 and she made her debut in Milton Keynes. And I was trying to work... <laughs> If it's been longer between her debut in Milton Keynes and now than between the founding of Milton Keynes as a city and right, her we're, debut, we're, we're going to have to Google that now. <laughs> Do you think that's where she got into the poetry? It's not. Um, I mean, again, <laughs> I'm not. She could have got into economics Keynes. there. It's like who is Milton and Keynes? Milton Keynes was founded in January 1967, so not quite. So it had been 30, 32 years between the founding of Milton Keynes and Roger's debut, and 23 years between Roger's debut and the present day. Not quite. Um, oh, well. Moving on, the Charlotte Edwards Cup. Finals day is taking place this week. I quite like the structure of this tournament. You've got two groups of four and you get a bonus point if you win with a run rate, which is more than 1.25 of the team you beat. Uh, so a good chance to get bonus points. And the team with the most points across the two groups goes straight to the final. And the first game on finals day is basically a semi-final between the next two top scoring points um, teams. And... The Vipers have won six out of six. They're going straight into the final. Charlie Dean has done really well for them again when she's been fit enough to play. I spoke to her about her world win 18 months that's seen her go from someone without a pro contract to being an England regular who's represented her country in all three formats. Here is that chat with Dean. Charlie, it's great to have you on the show. First off, how's your season gone so far? It's been a little up and down in terms of um, injuries. I missed two games of the Charlotte Edwards Cup because of the back spasm. Um, but luckily, um, it was only minor and I've been able to come back into the team. Um, and I, I think I've performed fairly well with the ball. Um, I'm really happy with how I've been bowling. And um, the Vipers are such a great team to be involved with that they just make coming back into the squad really easy. Mm, I mean, the, the Vipers have obviously got a, a good thing going. You won the Hey-Ho Flint trophy last year in the final here. What, what do you put that continued success down to? I think... Leading from the front, I think our head coach, Charlotte Edwards, is really, she says the right things. Um, she's very inspirational with her words and um, she really looks to bring the positive option out of us and um, sort of create fearless cricketers. And I think that's what she's done so well is that um, as vipers, we are able to go out there and sort of show our strengths and work well as a team because of the way that she um, goes about her coaching. Mm, going up, playing the 100 last year, and then playing, making your England debut, does, does having a coach like Charlotte Edwards really back you? Does that kind of make taking those steps up slightly easier in a way? Yeah, definitely. I think when I went over to London Spirit for the 100, she, she was on WhatsApp, you know, often checking in, seeing how I was doing and saying well done. And I think having that kind of coach behind you is, makes you feel really confident in that when you go back to that team environment it's seamless and um yeah inspirational I guess Mm. you had an amazing rise over the last 18 months or so uh you weren't one of the 40 contracted pros and now you're a regular in the England setup what what's that been like for you just on a personal level yeah I think uh it's been a whirlwind really um I I couldn't I think playing for England was something that I've always dreamed of 
Um, and I don't think this time last year I could have predicted the year that I've had. Um, so yeah, it's been really special and, and um, hopefully I can sort of capitalise on that success and with the Vipers and in the 100 and, and moving forward as uh, England player. Looking late ahead later this year, if, if the big new shiny thing in the women's game last year was 100, this year it's the, the Commonwealth Games. Is that is that something you've thought about at all? Is it like a, a chance to, to get into the public consciousness in a way that maybe English cricket hasn't been able to as much in the last few years? Yeah, I think um, it's a great opportunity for us, um, not only as a team to show what we can do, but I guess on that bigger stage in front of more eyes watching and hopefully inspire some more girls to play cricket and um, yeah I think it's going to be a really exciting opportunity to play a sport that we love and in front of getting that recognition that it deserves I guess. And then on your own bowling have you have you always been an off spinner or is that something that's developed relatively recently? Um, I think when I was younger probably about 10 I was really short and a little skiddy steamer but as, when I was 12 I think I sort of developed um, into, a, I think I started out as a leg spinner actually, um, but realised that was quite hard, um, so often it was. Um, but it's been something that I've not really focused on too much. Um, I was mainly a batter throughout um, sort of my age group cricket, um, so it's definitely something that's been a more of a recent development uh, in terms of like specialising in it. When was it that you made that switch where you became predominantly a, 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 an offie? I think when I was 14, I had my first one-on-one like off-spin coach in Sam Lavery, um, who worked at my school. And that kind of uh, sparked a bit of joy for it. And then I got into sort of the England Academy setups and there was that realisation that um, potentially there would be some um, off-spinners spots opening up in you know the next few years as Lauren Marsh and um, Danny Hazel um, were going towards the end of their career so I think then that was something that I saw an opportunity um, to really develop my skills and um, luckily it's, it's paid off I guess. Absolutely and then also on your style you really give it a rip and you get you get a lot of turn do you, do you have any spin bowling idols that you've looked up to over the years? Um, yeah I think Graham Swan initially um, was kind of the uh, off spinner that was playing in all the test matches when I was growing up. Um, I think more recently, um, Nathan Lyon is someone that I I look at his bowling action and I'm, I almost want to replicate what he does. Um, and, and you're quite an attacking bowler as well. You take lots of wickets. Do you, do you see your role primarily as a wicket taker rather than just a container? Um, I think I think. Initially, I want to create as many dots as possible. Um, and I think then that's when the wickets do come. I think because I've, as an off spinner, um, a lot of batters can kind of underestimate you, especially right handers, um, as you know, you pose less threat turning the ball into the pads. Um, and I think I've probably capitalized on people potentially being a bit more attacking towards me as a newer player um, and ended up pick, picking up some wickets. Um, but yeah, I think as a bowler, whenever you, you get a wicket, that's something that you're always looking to do. And I think uh, 
I'd want to be known as that kind of attacking off spinner as opposed to going for a defensive option, yeah. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A bit of nonsense to cover from elsewhere. In the Ranji Trophy, Bengal became the first first-class team to have nine people score half-centuries in the same innings. Uh, they only used nine batters as they piled on 773 for seven in their first innings. Uh, and in a Sri Lankan domestic T20 game, there was a tied six-over game that saw both teams score 30 for nine. So there were 18 wickets that fell across the 72 balls that were bowled in the game. Um, that game was between Gaul, CC and Kalutara Town Club. Did you see the other record from today as well? Uh, no, no, M- M- Mumbai set the record for the biggest ever margin of victory in a first-class game. Oh, wow. They beat, uh, yeah, they won by 725 runs in there. I think one of the things I love about these Ranger Trophy games is because they can be decided by first innings lead is the teams, I mean, love is used loosely. I wouldn't like <laughs> this to come into all cricket. Uh, but um, uh, t- teams have often very little incentive to not bat again and pile on those more runs. So Mumbai made 647, bowled out at Tarakund, I think, for 114 and then batted again and put up 261 and then bowled out for 69. So that was a, a reasonably one-sided game of cricket. Imagine coming out to bat and you need 795 <laughs> to win. Jim, you recently produced the Night Watchman podcast. What What is it? What was it? Give, it, give us the it? history. What is it? Uh, it is, so the Night Watchman is Wisdom's uh, quarterly. It's a long-form magazine uh, about cricket writing and sort of flights of fancy. And it's sort of um, ruminative and thoughtful. And you, you can pr- it takes on a lot of new writers and established writers. And you can... There's no word count, so you can sort of sort of go to town on on pieces. So it's uh, it's a fantastic publication, and there's a uh, we've just launched a podcast which is similar in a way in that it's different from other maybe this show, for example, or other uh, cricketing podcasts in that it's episodic and each episode takes a theme. Um, and we explore those themes. Um, They're totally timeless. Apart. Yeah, that, well, hopefully, yeah. So um, you can download them whenever you want. Uh, you can go to them and they'll, st- they'll still be in date. Um, and they took us a long time to do. So you might hear some sort of uh, some references to lockdown one and lockdown two and maybe lockdown three as well. But um, uh, I should say that they are written and hosted by John Hotton, who those of us in the know know is one of the finest cricket scribes out there. And uh, has a lovely soothing voice as well. I've listened to a lot of it because I put it together and edited it. So in my flat, me and my my girlfriend have been listening to a lot of John Hot, and we feel like um, I think she feels like she she has met him, but you know she. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, we've had some great guests. So the first series is all up now, and we've got the likes of Michael Atherton, Gideon Haig, uh, people within cricket, Mike Brearley, you know, biggest up. But then also being a Night Watchman podcast, there are people who. Um, 
a slightly sort of uh, what's the word? And you, they're not they're not established people within the game. They're famous. Yeah, so we've got yeah Rampakash. I realise I'm just yeah. listing very established cricketers, but we've got the likes of Tom Holland, the historian, Tim Key, the comedian and poet. Um, who else do we have on there? We've got an episode about... Um, uh, oh, one thing to note is each episode is around a particular theme. I don't know if I said that. So we've got Is Cricket Funny, which is sort of a comedy episode. The Mystery of Cricket, which is about the Doozer and Stats. And Jared Kimmer and Osmond Samuel didn't talk about that. We've got uh, Talking About Talking About Cricket, which is an episode about commentary. And with we're now talking about that. Talking about Talking About Cricket, yeah. Um, with Dan Norcross and Izzy Westbury. So yeah, there's some really great guests. And um, it was... A lot of fun to do and we're just this afternoon going to meet about doing a series two too brilliant um here's a snippet of tim key reading a poem about mark Ramprakash that's from the the night watchman podcast thank you so this is called ramps this is um a poem where ra- i guess lockdown meets well ramps some new rules came in on the wages side of things Now companies would pay one quarter of your pay, the government would stump up a quarter, and Mark Ramprakash would make up the rest. Ramps phoned up his agent immediately. Why am I paying half of everyone's wages over here? He was basically having a meltdown. This doesn't make any sense. How am I going to afford this even? Damn it! Why is it down to me suddenly? His agent was as calm as always. We're on to it, Mark. We think it's a mistake. Just stay calm, mate. We're going to send some emails. Ramps was whacking the phone against his cricket helmet. We're pretty sure they're going to row back from this, his agent went on. Ramps has sat on his kit bag now, his mouth twisted with the stress of it all, sweat pouring onto his tap shoes. You know, it is what it is. (laughs) So, obviously... I mean, I, I think where I'd start with that is—I don't like the idea of you saying where you'd start with it. If you are you going to are you going to tear it apart? Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. I, 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 just, I just wonder what part of your subconscious Mark Ramprakash was occupying during lockdown. This is a—it's that's such a good question. Finally, someone who's asking a decent question. I think we can. I think we can try and get to the bottom of why Mark Ramprakash is in that poem. Even just reading it out, I kind of, I sort of sensed what was going on there. I mean, uh, I mean, first things first. It's apparently quite arbitrary, and that could just be anyone. I mean, I suppose that could be, you know, Andy Crane or something. It doesn't need to be even from the world of, of cricket, but. Yeah. It does. It felt to me like Ram- Ramprakash was quite a, <laughs> was quite a good person to get to get to get into that kind of vehicle. Yeah, I mean, he'd, I, he'd be the sort of person singled out by the government. In, in yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's something very clean, clean cut about him. Yeah. There's also something quite. Um, he, he offers quite a lot, doesn't he? Because he's he's not in the centre of everyone's thoughts, but he's somewhere quite interesting because. There's a lot of people who like him a lot, and then there's a lot of people who like him from a completely different world that he's appeared in. Yes. And so in a poem, it was quite nice to be able to have a... Um, to just throw a cricket bat in and, and sling some tap shoes the in at the end. tap shoes, yeah, yeah, the right at the end, which was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. In many ways, <laughs> the killer payoff. To finish the show, we've got a question from Diran. He asks, if you could take five wickets every time you play... But every game you play in, you lose. Would you take it, Jim? 
I mean, my bowling days are very much uh, so. I probably would do, yeah, because that would be so, <laughs> so such a sort of strange thing to happen. Uh, I don't know. They all that. What's the old thing they say about cricket being an ind- individual sport, a team sport played by individuals? I don't know if I. I don't know if this is true, but I saw something on the train this morning of Jimmy Anderson being asked a similar thing. Yeah, so yeah, and it was on his Lord's TikTok. It's the Lord's TikTok. Oh, okay, account. it was. So it was um, an official thing, right? And he was asked, uh, "Would you rather?" Uh, be on the honours board or your team wins I think that was the question and he said honours board and he went honours board yeah. and obviously <laughs> he's joking but there's probably an was element he? a nugget of truth <laughs> in it uh, I guess you're the bowler so we should ask you funny ask because I took three wickets in a loss this weekend but I'm only mentioning that on the pod because my first wicket was a caught behind that on reflection was probably not out but the batsman came up to me later in the day it turns out he listens to the pod so Hampton Hill Cricket Club's Harry, I'm sorry. Um, and he walked. Uh, he didn't walk, no. He was overawed by your celebrity the, 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 that he walked the, the, No, the umpire the gave it out. I, I appealed oh, okay. and the umpire gave it but out. But you knew it wasn't out. I didn't know it wasn't out. Yeah. Uh, I heard a sound and went up. Yeah. Um, could have been anything. Yeah. Could have been anything. Could have been anything. And I don't bother with my glasses on as well, so I can't really see. I do think that with this question, there must be a certain amount of monkey's poor effect. I mean, I mean, firstly, if you went into every game, it's fine to go monkey's, into a game. Monkey's poor. Yes, well, yeah. But, but uh, so just explain what a monkey's paw is. Well, I'll, I'll come to it. I, I think, <laughs> f- first of all... It, 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 this it, is supposed to be the fun question at the end that this, we just answer quickly and then is, end the show. Fun, I think. If, if you go, <laughs> it, it, it ruins monkey's the, paw. It ruins the fun of a game if you go into it knowing you're going to lose and knowing you're going to take five wickets. Like, everyone loves not knowing if they're amazing. We're getting back onto retirement to... chat, aren't we? We're getting back into <laughs> yeah. the sort of... Um... Uh, but but also, I think the monkey's poor thing would be, you know, uh, your wickets would all be sort of like caught in the deep in the last dive when they've already racked up 350 or whatever. And then obviously you lose by by loads. Uh, so I, I think you'd have to not tempt fate and go with... Got to go for the win. You've got you yeah, much exactly. your team to win. Absolutely. To, to bring it back, I mean, because I don't bowl, so I might as well talk about myself batting. Um and I've not done a great deal of that all very well for a few years. But well, Jim's supposed to have played for my club multiple times it and will he's yet happen. to play. August is looking dreamy. <laughs> I'm getting married, but apart from that, August is fine. Apart from that, it's looking great. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's looking really free. Um, but uh, I've, I've scored runs in games where um, we've lost and it doesn't feel quite as nice. So although you take the well, The great cricketer plaudits. guys are probably, if they're listening to this, they'll be like the best thing in the game is scoring 100 in a losing cause. Well, I don't know. Yeah, cricket's such a weird thing, isn't it? Because you do have the I've got, and I've certainly got out on a a road and watched my friends and teammates score loads of runs, and that's a pretty bleak feeling. Actually, looking on and knowing that you've bagged a duck and someone else is going to get a ton, pretty horrible. You know, someone like Phil will come in and tell you that he got a century of the week, and if you've not, if you're going through a bad trot, then or you're not playing, for example, then. Yeah, that's a bad feeling with cricket. (laughs) I was thinking about him when you were talking about Mitali Raj's email and thinking maybe maybe that's the sort of thing he might do, but he's not here to defend himself, is he? I think on that note, let's end the show. Cheers, Ben. Cheers, Jim. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back after the Trent Bridge Test. Podcast Network.